Thank you for tuning in to the East Denali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. So, uh, if you want to open your books, your your books, open your Bibles, the book, uh, to one of the books within the book, uh, to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be there, and we're going to try to uh, move a little bit through this. I'm going to do a couple of different things this morning. Uh, first, I want us to see a little bit more completely the overarching picture of the book of Acts together. Okay, so last week we talked about uh, the bridge, so to speak, between Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And we learned that this, that it has the same author, Dr. Luke, he was a physician. Luke was the, he, and he's a Gentile physician. He was the guy that wrote both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, he doesn't know uh, unless he's able to see from heaven, and okay, we these people named his his letters to Theophilus, his 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 uh, his encounter of recounting everything in detail, in great detail, so that the story can be passed to his friend, uh, the guy that he invested his life in, named Theophilus. He doesn't know that that we call it the book of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He doesn't know that. But we call them that. So Luke-Acts really can be put together, and they will be like a part one, part two, we talked about last week, of a continuation letter uh, to Theophilus, which was a guy that had some type of, of power, some type of influence in the community because of how we, gain, we gleaned that from how Luke talked about him, what his title that he gave him. He said, great, excellent Theophilus. It was a, he had some position of, of influence and power and authority. Now, with that, we, we kind of gave the illustration like we, last week. I tried to build it around the idea of, you know, football's back in town. Uh, football's back in, in reality. Last night, the Gators beat the Hurricanes. Um, that may be a good thing for you, may not be a good thing for you. I wish they both could have tied, and they ended like soccer just because it's the Gators and the Hurricanes. But they had a, had a victory, and, and it went to the SEC over the ACC, so I'm, I'm praising Jesus for that this morning as well. But so football, we use that that uh, reality, that understanding of what it takes to get to a game and get through a game. You have preseason workouts, you have uh, preseason camp. We talked about that and how kind of related that back in the book of Acts. That's when Jesus called his disciples all the way through the, the gospel of Luke. I said Acts, but all the way through the gospel of Luke, uh, we see Jesus call his disciples he, he lives life with them for three years, three and a half years roughly, and, uh, and then he's gone. But that, that traveling around, that discipling of them on this journey as they went to become what, what David Platt talked about, they go fishers of men. He taught them how to be a disciple that goes and makes other disciples. Not just other disciples, but makes other disciple makers that will, that will take the gospel one step further, another, another generation down the line. That's what Jesus led towards, making disciple makers. And so... For us, that, that preseason, that, that fall camp experience was being built up till the night that Jesus was betrayed. And we, we considered the upper room as, as the, the pregame speech before game time, right? So if you ever played a sport uh, that has uh, a coach that gives a last-minute talk before you go out on the court or out on the field, it's like the coach is squeezing in everything they've talked about for the week or everything they've talked about since the last game. And remember this, remember this, they're going to do this, they, they line up like this. All the, all the pertinent information, they're trying to cram it all together. Well, in the upper room, Jesus did something pretty uh, uh, fantastic. He, he, he boiled it down to one thing, abide in me. 
His pregame speech was this, abide in me, abide in my teachings, abide in what you have learned over the past three years. Trust what I have told you and, and understand everything's about to change, but abide in me and I will abide in you. And apart from me, you can do nothing, but if you abide with me, we'll, we'll do great, amazing things uh, in this world and for the kingdom of, of, of the Father. So he gives him this pregame speech and then Judas shows up and he betrays and turns Jesus over to the authorities. And, and then it's kind of like, uh, all right, it's game time. Quarter number one's in session, right? And what does his disciples do? They all scatter, right? They don't know what to do. They, they didn't abide and trust what Jesus said. Trust in me. Trust, trust the things I've taught you. I've told you this day is coming. And now it's your time to get out there without me. And they're watching all this happen, right? And he's, he goes through the Passion Week. He goes before the courts. He's uh, condemned to die on the cross. And he dies on the cross. He's buried in the tomb. And then all of a sudden, the third day, he raises from the grave, right? Jesus uh, uh, was resurrected. We just sung about it. And we, we consider that as halftime. He's back, right? Because you get through the first half, and you make all these mistakes, and then what happens? The coaches huddle you back up in the locker room, and they say, okay, you did this well, you did this well, this right here we were awful at, let's correct that, keep your mind on the, you know, trust your technique, all these things are telling them, again, regrouping the team to go back out for the second half. And so this is where we're going to hang out today a little bit. Uh, uh, what this halftime was, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but then we're going to get into, all right, now he's gone, now what's happening? Because I want to give us an overview of Acts, because as you read through Acts, it, like last week we kind of went through, through Luke uh, a little bit, and we bridged the two together, but we need to understand as where, where we're going is important for us to get a 30,000 foot, foot view shot, maybe, uh, so we know as the particulars come out, let's keep our eyes to these things. Let's stay, let's stay focused on what's going to be accomplished through the book. I think it's helpful if we have that viewpoint. So that's where we're going to go uh, and, and look at this. So a little bit of an overview of Acts. I hope you're taking some notes because this will help you as, you as you go through your Bible engagement plan and you read Acts. And again, hey, you're going through super slow. Somebody asked me the other day, so we're, we're not reading Acts until Friday. Right, you're reading Acts on Friday. And like, so this past week, if you, if you engaged with this, uh, you read all of chapter one of Acts. But then you journaled and you thought through the first eight verses. You gave some attention and meditated on the first eight verses. But you read the whole chapter. Hopefully you did. That's kind of the, the instructions. If you read instructions or directions, you probably did it. If you're a guy like me, you probably just went about it and, okay, let's see what I got to do. And look for the picture and you fix it, right? And you have parts left over. Some guys understand what, you, what I'm talking about, all right? So that's why we have a junk drawer with every screw, every wire nut, everything else, all the brackets that were left up. That's why we have that. We're going to save it for one day later. But the hope was that. So this upcoming week, guess what we're going to do again? We're all going to read through Acts 1 again. Again, it's a help, it helps us to meditate on it, not just simply wrote, read over it really fast and not really think about it, but we're going to read Acts 1 again. Next week, you're going to read Acts 1 again, but you're going to think through, meditate a little bit more on specific little sections of Acts 1. So that's a little bit of it. Same thing with Luke. Uh, Psalms, we're going to hit the chapters for the most part, and a little bit of, of Psalm 119, which you guys know I love Psalm 119. It's so helpful to me over the years, but... That's kind of the, over, or the overview of this. So let me encourage you, grab one of these, engage with God in his word, and see what Jesus does with you over the next 19 weeks of that. So overview of Acts a little bit. So Acts, we understand, Acts is a continuation of what, what Jesus started in Luke. If you go back to Luke uh, chapter 1, 
verse 1, you see uh, the, the, the instruction that, or the right, out, right out of the gate, um, Luke says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken complete an, a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning and I, were eyewitnesses of, and, and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us. It seemed good for me, talking about Luke says, it seems good for me also, having followed all the things closely. He was, he was a detailed guy. Most physicians are. I don't want one that's not, right? Don't forget, before you sew me up, make sure you tie that last little vein closed so I don't lose something inside, right? Or make sure everything's fixed before you. I want the details in there. So he comes along. He says, I'm going to give a, a close encounter. I've had a close encounter. And for some time, I'm going to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning all the things you have been taught. Now, back over in Luke cha or Acts chapter 1, you see him use this, this phrase. And it's going to come up here, I think. No, stay right there. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. I, I'm going to get to this quote before we there. But, but look at Acts chapter 1 real fast. It says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with you all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day which he was taken up. Now, we're going to hang out there a little bit. So Acts is a continuation of what Luke started to explain from Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the gospel of Luke. It's a continuation of that. So you see this pattern going on, on here of the redeeming uh, work of God all the way from creation. Really, we could say this. Acts is a part three to Luke being part two to the Old Testament being part one. Because what you see with the apostles, we're going to learn with them, the apostles were really good and really gifted because they had to be able to teach Jesus from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament points to the Gospels. The Gospels point to what's happening in, in Acts. And then all the rest of the letters kind of point back to where, where we're at in Acts and what we're going to discover here in Acts as we read through it. And, and as we study it together, we're going to see all that, that God, all that Jesus particularly did in the birthing of his church, in the growing of his church, and in the sustaining of his church. That's the overview a little bit, okay, that we have here. So it's, it's really a third part. Don't forget the Old Testament. The Old Testament is vital to the book of Acts. The Old Testament is vital to the Gospels. It all connects here, so don't throw that out. Really, the Old Testament is a prophecy of Jesus' coming, the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament prophesies about that. The Gospels tells us of the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Think of it that way. And then the book of Acts tells us the continuation of the fulfillment of Jesus as the Messiah who is the head of the church. So you get this continuation. This is all one story, right? It's an amazing story. It's 66 books that point to one message, the message of Jesus. Okay, so don't forget that. So when we study Acts, and when we study each in particular chapter, keep the whole book in mind, but also keep the whole of the New Testament in mind, and keep the, how the New Testament relates with the Old Testament. So keep the whole biblical meta narrative in mind. That's how we will have a right interpretation. When we pull anything out, we talked about this, I think, last week or sometime recently because I remember talking about it with you. Uh, when we pull some little part out and isolate it, that's when we get trouble. That's when we start giving what's known as eisegesis in and we uh, infer on the text what the text means instead of exegete what is there for us to learn from and for us to grow from and for us to be transformed from. And so when we interject something without the full meta-narrative, the full complete understanding 
of the redemptive story of God, then we're, we're in trouble. So keep all that in mind as we go. Uh, why is confidence needed? Remember in Luke? Remember Luke wrote something that, that the first I read, and he said, I want you to be confident, Theophilus, in all that I've taught you. Why is confidence needed? Because the, it, it, it would seem to me that these guys uh, would have it all in, in, in check. Now, I, know, I know nobody in this room out here, this guy up on the stage, there's times that I'm a little less confident than I should be in, in what the Lord said in my life. I'm, I'm questioning a little bit, okay, does he mean for me to do this or does he mean for me to do that? But what's the, what's the question of confidence here? Now let's think about this. Look on down in, in Acts chapter 1. Again, I'm kind of giving us a quick overview of the whole, of the whole book here. But Acts chapter 1, and starting verse 12 to the end of chapter 1, that we read this week, we should have read of an account of them replacing Judas. Now, now put yourselves, remember this is a, a narrative, it's a historical narrative. Put yourself in these people's shoes. These are real people in real time. Here's what we see. Judas was part of Jesus' 12, right? Judas was one of the disciples that traveled around, saw him do ministry, saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, but all of a sudden, Judas did what? He turned his back on Jesus and turned him into the officials and led him to the cross. And so for the people's minds and the people's uh, mentality, they're like, Judas, you, you're a betrayer. You, you know, what is, what's up with you? Would that, now, now listen. If there was a, a movement that was starting where somebody shows up on the planet Earth and says that they're the Messiah, right? Now put yourself there. They're, somebody shows up and says that they're the Messiah, they're the Savior of the world, and they start doing all these things. But then all of a sudden, the closest of the closest uh, men that was there, all of a sudden one of them turns their backs. And not only that, he kills himself. Would that make you second guess all that Jesus taught? Coming from this angle. Where's the hope in Judas's life that he heard in the Sermon on the Mount? Where's the peace in Judas's life that gets him through hard times when Jesus says, uh, uh, "Have no fear, because I'm with you." Where, where's the, where's the, where's the, the sustaining power, the sustaining mindset, the sustaining trust in the Savior that he saw do all these things, provided for people's needs, took care of the of the masses did small, intimate things with his closest friends. Why does he not have the hope and the peace and the love and the compassion and, and, the, and, and all of that wrapped in? Why does this guy that used to travel with Jesus, remember he's writing to Theophilus, a guy that he's thinking, we think, we don't know, we think he may be a brand new believer that is being discipled by Luke, right? He may not be a believer at all. Why does he want him to be confident? Because one of Jesus' guys turned his back on him. Why should I be confident in that guy? You ever thought about that? I mean, think about it. This guy, Judas, he turns his back, and he goes a different direction, and he commits suicide. He just completely ends his life, and he completely turns away from everything. He found no purpose. He was, he was completely given over to something other than what Jesus said. Why would Theophilus at all be convinced and confident that Jesus is the Messiah that, that Luke had been telling him? So what's the message? The message of Acts and the message of the gospel and the message of Jesus, but particularly Luke and Acts. Luke wanted Theophilus not to be convinced of anything else, to be confident. What's the message? It doesn't matter if the closest of the close turns their back and completely abandons the faith. 
Jesus is still going to build his church, sustain his church, protect his church, and build his kingdom. And you can trust it no matter what situation of life happens. And so, so as you read through Acts, remember Judas. You're going to read about him a little bit more this week. Re remember Judas. Remember the things that, that he did and how he turned his back. But remember this. Look at me. You and I could be Judas. If we're not convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. If you don't know the God of this Bible and the Savior, the, uh, the Messiah that's, that this word is all about, guess what it tells us in his word? That you could be tossed to and fro like a ship in the ocean in the middle of a storm unless you are grounded in the truth of the identity of God and the person of Jesus and how that has changed you. Should we take this serious? Should we think about this more than just simply read over it? We should meditate on it and memorize it and let it memorize us and let it meditate in us so that we're convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Messiah of the world. He's the Son of God. He's the one that can take away the sins of the world and we can trust Him. And guess what? Oh, by the way, He wants to use you in 2019 and 2020 for the building of His church and the growth of His kingdom in the planet. He wants to do that. How can you be convinced of that? Well, you trust what we're about to see here. So we see this is the reality. Um, so basically, these, 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 this book, I'm going to read this quote here because I've completely skipped over it, but it's a good place to interject it again. So this quote, it says this, Three crucial decades in world history that, all, um, that is all it took in the years between A.D. 33 and A.D. 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, it got sufficient growth and credibility to become the largest religion in the world, uh, the largest religion the world has ever seen, and to change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. It has spread into every corner of the globe and has uh, more than 2 billion punitive adherents. Go to the next one. It has had an incred uh, indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course on the lives of countless people worldwide. And the seedbed for all of this, the time when it took, the, uh, took decisive root was in these three decades. It all began with a dozen men and a handful of women and then the Spirit came. That's from Michael Green in, in his book, 30 Years That Changed the World. So Acts covers three decades. So when we start here, we're going to see three, 30 years of, of, of growth in the church, birth of the church. And these things, it did. The church affected everything, all the way to the center of the universe or the greatest known place of Rome that was the capital of the world at the time in its day. And it, it reached all the way through there when it ends with, with Paul and Rome, right? And so we get, to, we get this understanding here that, that the hope that we have the mercy that we need, the grace that is found in Christ, of him building his church, the satisfaction and meekness that Judas somehow missed, through this book, you and I can be convinced and we can be confident that Jesus is who he says he is because of what we found out, what we will find out in these 30 years of history. You with me? It's a journey among all journeys. Um, so Alan Thomas says this. It says, the dominant feature is that of, of Acts in particular, the dominant feature is that the sovereign plan of God has not been derailed, 
by the most wicked of actions, talking about to, uh, Judas, right? Here at the first, not most wicked of action, a betrayal from among the ranks of Jesus' own inner circle. It's that the sovereign plan of God is not derailed. Just because Acts 1, they had an issue that with Judas of the, uh, from the inside the circle gone and, 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 and just a tragic end to his life, it didn't change the, the momentum. It didn't change the direction of the, of the movement of Jesus. It didn't halt or hinder the advancement of the gospel of Jesus. And so uh, what could we call this book? In, in your title, in your, in your book, you may see something like the Acts of the Apostles, right? Um, I, I, that could be right. You, you don't see much of the apostles doing anything except for uh, uh, Peter and, and uh, Paul in this. So it's really not all the apostles that we get an account of what happened. Uh, so we could say that it's the acts of the Father, uh, that God the Father is actually doing these things. You could say that. Uh, that. That's a possibility. The big thing that I want us to see is that it's probably more, uh, uh, I'm more inclined to use the title that I have here. It's the continuing acts of King Jesus. It's the continuing acts of a risen Savior of empowering His people to move through the church. It's the continuing acts of that. Because right here at the first, Acts chapter 1, it said this, right? O Theophilus, I have dealt um, all that Jesus had began to do and to teach. That word began is pretty interesting. Um, Kevin and I were talking about this just earlier today, but the, that particular word began is interesting from the standpoint of this. It, it's, it's in a tense that is, it's, it's actually a snapshot of the life. It's a snapshot of Jesus' life. So he wrote about all that Jesus did, and that's just a snapshot in the, gospel, Luke, in the Luke account. All those things Jesus did is a snapshot of what Jesus began. But it doesn't end. It's not, it's not a, a word that has an ending. It's a continuation word. It's a continuation of what Jesus is doing through the rest of Acts, he is working in the people that follow him and trust him from Pentecost on. But it's a, it's a snapshot of what he started. And guess what? At the end of Acts, the snapshot's not done. Because the snapshot's being taken of you and me with it being a temple of Jesus and being the church now. He's still taking snapshots of Jesus' continuing work on his planet through his people. And Acts is just the start of that. Um, Let's look at a couple of these things. I want us to, to understand a little bit of what, what's going on. Acts in chapter 14, verse 27, it talks about all that God had done. So, yeah, we could say God the Father, but let's be a little bit more specific with this. Acts, uh, it could be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You see that a little bit in some different places, the Holy Spirit. He definitely is at work. You see him separate. The Holy Spirit is told that he separates uh, Paul and Barnabas. Um, uh, at a particular time, the Holy Spirit does bring them, break them apart for the purpose of, uh, uh, that needed to happen. Uh, it could be, uh, I know John MacArthur says it's the acts of the risen Lord uh, and how the, the risen Lord uses people for the preaching uh, of the gospel. So that's kind of how he lands with that. Uh, but this is what I want you to see. The word Lord is always connected to Jesus. Okay, uh, let, me, let me tell you that. Not always, but it's connected when it's in the context of the person of Jesus. Uh, you may have heard this phrase over and over, and I wondered what it meant for a while, Lord Jesus Christ. Why was Lord Jesus Christ 
Is that like his first, middle, last name? So was Jesus in trouble when somebody said, Lord Jesus Christ? And like, Lord Jesus Christ, get out of there. Or Lord Jesus Christ, you know, like we do with our kids, like you use the full name. Is that his full name? No, it's identifiers to who he is. It tells of who his character, tells of who he is as a person. It identifies his position. But there's some places that the word Lord is used, and it's clear from the context and, and they're, again, using the context to, to determine the usage of the word. But the, Lord, uh, the use of the word Lord in context, when it's not talking about the person of Jesus, it's talking about Lord as in master, or Lord as in uh, a boss, or Lord as in king, or Lord as over, over a kind of a, 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 a institute or something like that. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when it's, when it's connected there, you see it in a number of places. Look here. Uh, let me name a couple of them. I want you to flip to them. Look at Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, verse 17. Acts 11 and verse 17, you see the first place. Now get this. The first place in all of Scripture that Lord Jesus Christ is used together. And in Acts chapter 11, we see that, that we, uh, or the book of Acts is the first place that that's used all together. But Acts 11, verse 17 says this. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we uh, baptize in the Lord Jesus Christ, again, identifying who our baptism is in, right? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, who, was that I, who was it that I could stand in God's way? So we get in Acts 11, the identifying factor of who our baptism is, is when we believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 15, flip over there a little bit more, a couple more chapters. Acts 15, verse 26. Fifteen, verse 26. It says this. It says, Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? See that? Lord Jesus Christ. Again, identifying Jesus with Lord. Okay? Lord with Jesus. It's connected. Lord Jesus Christ. The Master, the King, Jesus Christ, Messiah. So it's identifying him as the master and the king. It's identifying him as Jesus, the name above all names. And it's identifying him as Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who everybody had been looking forward to in the Old Testament, looking to the, for the Messiah. Another one, Acts chapter 20, verse 21. talks about this, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God, okay, and in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 28, verse 31 it tells us this, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Again, identifying Jesus with Lord. This is, this is important, I think, for us to understand. When, when we look at this book, there's, there's two ways we can look. It's very spiritually driven or it's very humanly driven, okay? And we need to have a good, good understanding of that. So, so 64 times in the New Testament, Jesus was, is referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ, altogether, 64 times. 163 times, Lord Jesus, not Christ, but Lord Jesus is, is identified. So another 163 times on the 64 times, Jesus is identified as Lord, right? Another 100 times, it's, it's Lord Christ, not Jesus, but it's the Lord, the Messiah, is linked together. Another 100 times. Jesus Christ is another 235 times. And all this is New Testament. It's all in the New Testament, how it's linked together with the person of that. Now, 
Jesus is used 925 times in the New Testament, and Christ is used 400 by itself, 497 times. Now, here's another one. Look at Acts chapter 2. Flip back to Acts chapter 2. And this is what we're going to see. Acts 2, we see that Jesus, Lord, and Christ are used to help us understand a little bit. It says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, okay? So God the Father has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So we get an understanding here that God the Father put Jesus in the position of Lord and Christ, of Lord and Messiah. God the Father put this in place, so it's there uh, with that Acts chapter 2, verse 36 is that one. Acts chapter 3, verse 18. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, again, Old Testament, what he said in all the prophets of the Old Testament, that Christ would, suffered, uh, would suffer and, and thus be uh, fulfilled. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out because of the work of what, what is fulfilled. Then Acts chapter 3, verse 20 says this. That times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing may become in the presence of the Lord. Who's it talking about? Jesus, okay. The Lord and that He, God, may send the Christ appointed to you, comma, by the way, that's Jesus, okay? I'm harping on this. I know that I am, right? I want you to see the fullness of the power of the name of Jesus, all right? It's not just that he's the Messiah to save you and get you out of trouble from hell. It's that he's the Messiah and he's the Lord that wants to be the master, the king of your life so that you can be most fruitful for his kingdom, right? The name is important. We sing it. There's no other name. There's no other name. There's no other name. He's the resurrected king that's resurrecting you. It's the name of Jesus that does that. This is important that we understand the Lord Jesus Christ is the active participant that is involved throughout the entire book of Acts. Not simply the apostles. You with me? This isn't a man-driven book. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered, driven by the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, under the authority and the sovereignty of God the Father book. You with me? We can't lose that, because here's the tendency, right? You remember the old poem, Footprints in the Sand? Remember that? I think I may have told you all one time. It's not my favorite poem. I'll, I'll spoiler alert from the beginning. Because in that you see person walking on the, on the beach and he's walking hand in hand or she's walking hand in hand with Jesus right there beside him and all of a sudden uh, hard times hit in, your, in, in this person's life, right? And all of a sudden they, they, they get to the other end of the hard times and they're like, how did I get through that? And they turn around and look and it went from two footprints in the sand to one set of footprints in the sand and the whole gist of the poem is that Jesus carried them through it and, and, and he was the one that carried them through that hard time and so that was his footprints in the sand, actually. Here's the deal. Jesus is empowering you to walk this planet. Colossians is clear. The mystery that we have is that Christ is in us. And we're in Christ, but Christ is in us. And it's physically and literally our footprints that are walking on this planet. 
Same thing for the apostles. It is the apostles going through the book of Acts, but if you don't see the empowerment of the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in their life, you're going to think that these men and women of the, of the early church made all this happen. And they didn't. Now, they were under the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of King Jesus, and it's the work of the continuing acts of King Jesus that accomplished all this happened that we're going to understand through the book of Acts. And why can we be confident in this? Here's what I want you to see. A couple of things I want you to see here. So skip through that next couple. Number one is Jesus is involved in the advancing of the gospel. In Acts, Jesus is involved in the advancement of the gospel or the advancing of the gospel. It's Jesus that's doing the work. And he's going to use the apostles to do this. And he's going to use people like a eunuch in the middle of nowhere to do this. And he's going to use a lady like Lydia to do this. And he's going to use uh, churches and cities to do this. Yes, it's going to be in and through people that trust him as the Messiah, the resurrected king. But trust me, it's Jesus in the life of people that advance the church and advance the kingdom. So yes, it's a very spiritual book because it's the spirit that's going to do it. But don't leave it in the spirit's hands. Let me change that. Don't leave it all in the spiritual realm. Because the reality is the Spirit is empowering people. The prize creation from creation. He's empowering men and women, boys and girls who've trusted Jesus to go and pursue the things of the kingdom advancement that Jesus wants them to pursue. To be witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in all Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. Right? It's a both and. But it's fully Jesus at the same time. It's a both and, but it's fully Jesus. And so when you're tempted to say, man, the one song that we sing, that we change the one word in, I don't know if you pick it up, uh, uh, I need you, Lord, I, need, I think that's it, but you get to the bridge, uh, to teach my soul uh, to sing to you uh, when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand, I fall on you. The reality is, you can never stand, so we sing, we sing it a little bit different. We sing it, since I cannot stand, I fall on you, because we're fully trusting him. It's not our power, it's the power of him in us, but you better believe it's your feet and my feet and your hands and my hands and your mouth and my mouth that's proclaiming the gospel in a broken and dark and dying world that needs to understand the power of Jesus in their life. So we, as we read this, trust that Jesus is involved in advancing his gospel. Think, the second thing I want you to see is this is that he is building his church. Jesus is building his church. Through people, yes, but Jesus is doing it. A couple of things I want you to see. Chapter 2, verse 27, uh, 47, it talks about the Lord. Again, we're going to see Jesus at work. The Lord was adding to the church daily, right? Uh, we, right after Pentecost, crazy things were happening. He is saving people. He is drawing people out. And it says the Lord was adding. In verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 21, it says the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was present among his people uh, by, by, by the Spirit empowering them, right? And in chapter 16, verse 14, you got a lady named Lydia. It says there that the Lord opened her eyes to who he was. The Lord was actively involved, and the Lord was actively building his church. He, did, he didn't just have a, a child on, on, on chapter 2, and then says, y'all go do it and figure it out. He had a child on chapter 2 that's called the church. He birthed the church, and then he builds and grows his church. It's like a parent's role, right, parents? 
We speak truth into our kids. We speak love into our kids. We empower our kids to go and be what God's created them to be or else we miss what the call is. So we see that he's building his church. The third thing is this. He is protecting his church. Go flip over to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to wrap up here. These last two are very, very quick. My points are very short, I mean, as far as explanation today. All that first part was there. But Acts chapter 7, this is where I get that he is protecting his church. We don't have to worry about the church, church. Okay? He is protecting his church. We need to be be about abiding in him, loving each other, and producing fruit under the kingdom's namesake. But he is protecting the church. Chapter 7, you see the first martyr, the first person that's killed on behalf of of pronouncing and proclaiming the name of Jesus. His name's Stephen. And we see this, and we hear it uh, in the word here, uh, but he was, that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into the heavens as the stones were coming at him uh, and all this stuff, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of, the, of God. And he said to him, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man uh, standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out all the more loud. These are the people around him. And stopped their, and, and stopped their ears and rushing together uh, to him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named who? Saul. You're going to discover a lot about Saul through the book of Acts. You see Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the falling on his knees, he cried out with, with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Who's that sound like? Stephen sounded just like Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, don't, God, don't hold this against them, right? And then we see in Acts chapter 8, the guy that they, that's named up there that gave approval to this stoning, this murder of, of Stephen for the name of Jesus, it says this, And Saul approved of his execution. And there, rose, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And it said that Paul was ravaging, verse 3, Paul was ravaging the church uh, and entering house after house. He dragged out men and women who committed and committed them to prison. Paul was there to stamp out Christianity, to completely wipe it off the face of the earth. But Jesus is protecting his church. How do I know that? You look at chapter 18. This is a good place to write down this. Chapter 18, it says this in verse 9. It says, And the Lord said to Paul, one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. Now this is written to who? Paul, which was also known as Saul, which was the guy who approved Stephen's death. And the, oh, by the way, the guy that Jesus, Jesus stopped on the way to Damascus and stopped him from, from killing Christians and, and imprisoning Christians. Jesus stopped him and converted him and then used him to plant church after church on these missionary trips. And then at the end, he says, and don't be afraid, Paul, because persecution was coming great against him. Persecution was coming great. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus will protect you. I will protect you. Why? Because I have my people in the city. Church, listen, look at me. Jesus is protecting his church. His church is going to go and be built and grow and to be sustained. We just have to trust him and go there. 
So he's not only involved in the advancement of the gospel, he is building his church. Jesus is also protecting his church. The last one is this, is Jesus gave confidence to the church. And this is where you and I have confidence. Look at this next verse here. In verse, back in verse uh, 3 of chapter 1, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, and many proofs appearing to them during the 40 days of halftime. Do you see it? Of halftime. Of halftime, Jesus gave confidence to the team by appearing and saying, I'm no longer dead. What you worried about? I got you back. And, by the way, I'm going to send the Spirit in a few days. You just wait and hang out here. But I'm not dead. I'm going to prove to you. Touch me. You know? And he taught them for 40 more days during halftime. And then it's game on again. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to put this slide up here. It says, For this, uh, uh, for I deliver to you as first importance, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now get that. It's not an individual crazy people thought. He appeared to the whole community, right? He appeared to 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. So go, even go check with them, Paul's saying. Go check for the eyewitness account, right? And then also, uh, though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James. And then, oh, by the way, Paul says, he appeared to me as well. Why can Theophilus have confidence that what Luke is telling him is accurate? Listen, Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive. And he proved that he was alive. Why, church, why can you have confidence tomorrow when you go to work and somebody's like, that Jesus stuff is for the birds. Why can you have confidence? Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is no longer dead because he's a resurrected king. Why do we have confidence in 2019 that the reason that we're here is because we do not have a dead Savior like Islam does, like Hinduism does, like Buddhists do, like the Scientologists do, like the Mormons do. They're all dead. The people they say are the Saviors are dead. You can go visit the grave and see their bodies. Jesus is not dead. Church, be confident. And let's go play the game because it's now the second half. God, let's have uh, a good time with you this week, I pray, Lord. I pray that right now that we would respond to you and whatever you're stirring in our hearts and our minds, God, that we would walk faithfully in the path that you've called us to walk, that we would not second-guess the truth of your word, but, Lord, we would be centered in what you have called and deemed the gospel that you have set forth in motion over these 30 years in the book of Acts and so long before that, as far as three years before this even started, and even through to 2019, God, you are continually working in your creation. You are continually working in the church. God, let us believe that. Let us trust that. Let us be confident in that because you're not dead. <laughs> because you are not dead, Jesus. Oh, Lord, if somebody in this place is doubting your resurrection, 
Lord, I pray that they engage with your word through Luke and through Acts as we study it together and as we believe it together and we trust it together. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would be confident because we have a risen Savior. We have you, Jesus. So let us respond to the risen Savior. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, because you conquered the grave, <laughs> you conquered death, and you can conquer anything that, we're, that stands in front of us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church Podcast. Be sure to go to our website, EastonOlly.church, to find more messages like you just heard and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Ollie. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Ollie, email info at EastonOlly.church. God bless and have a great week.